Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I want to take you back to, to 2013. 2013, uh, San Antonio Spurs were in Miami, uh, really challenging the Miami Heat to hopefully win their fifth championship. Now, these guys thought that they had it in the back. The score, they had an eight-run lead. There was only 28 seconds left on the clock. These guys were so confident they were going to win this championship that they set up uh, reservations at one of the most expensive restaurants in Miami, Gabiano's, and they had their private room set just for them. And, and here we are, 28 seconds left on the clock. The, the odds of the heat coming back were like 60 to 1. So they just thought they had this in the bag. But how many of you guys know there's a man by the name of LeBron James uh, that sometimes can change the game? And so he makes the three-pointer. All of a sudden, everybody starts to get nervous. A couple other things happen. Another guy makes the three. Tie game. Goes into overtime. So now the rejuvenized Miami Heat start to put it on really thick, and they end up taking the win 103 to 100. Now, now in NBA history, this is probably one of the most devastating upsets uh, of all time. And see, and the coaches and the players after the game, they just expected that the head coach, his name was Popovich, that he was just going to go ahead and, and scrap the dinner. But he had some different plans. In fact, as soon as the game was over, he ran into the locker room and said, hey, family, get dressed and get to the restaurant as fast as you can. So everybody started to get dressed, and Popovich, he went off to the restaurant to get there before everybody. And when he showed up, let me show you a picture of what the restaurant kind of looked like. You can go ahead one more. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, restaurant overlooking the water. And, but the tables are kind of set apart, so Popovich got there a little bit early, and he brought all the tables together. All the tables together to make one particular table. And he said, man, it has to be just right. Like, I want to make sure coaches are surrounding the players here. And, and I want to make sure that everybody is close. We're family. Everybody gets a seat at this one large table. And he starts ordering appetizers. And because he's a good coach, he knows his players' favorite food. And so he starts ordering their favorite food. And then he takes a seat. And it's just him and one of the other coaches. He takes a seat at the table. And they said that the, the, the look on his face was just a pure devastation. Like, you, you couldn't have expressed a more sadder look than Popovich did at that table. And the coach said he sat there for a couple of minutes. And then the coach said that you could see him make the shift. And he got up from the table. And now he was concerned about the team's needs. So as the team was trickling in, he made sure that he was at the door greeting them and welcoming them and, and uh, just high-fiving them. Like, come on, guys. And he brought them all in. And, and everybody started to sat down, sit down and eat a little bit. And, and Popovich just kind of worked the room. He, there were no speeches, nothing, you know, fabulous like that. But he began to have these private conversations. And, and he began to open up, you know, dialogue for conversation. And the next thing you know, the players are starting to open up their hearts. They're starting to, to get over the loss. They're starting to conversate a little bit. They're starting to connect again. And by the end of the night, after crying, after laughing, a little bit of grieving, a little bit of celebrating that, hey, there's still an NBA championship, by the end of the night, they felt like a team again. And if you were to go back and you were to ask those players, what was the most memorable moment of your NBA career? Hands down, every single one that was a part of that dinner would say, it was the table. It, it, it was the table. It was that moment that everything shifted 
and they went on to win a championship the next year and blew the Miami Heat out of the water. I, I think the truth is for you and I is, is we all know how it feels to suffer defeat, don't we? Like we know how it feels to suffer defeat. We know how it feels to suffer a loss relationally, financially, personally. What about as a parent? Like we know how it feels to, to, to blow it as a parent. And in those moments, it's, it's, it's really tough because I, I remember a time when, uh, and you guys, some, many of you guys know the story, but I, I remember the moment uh, that I lost $1,000. I got scammed out of $1,000 on Craigslist with a car. And I just remember that devastating moment. Now, by the grace of God, I got it back. But if I go back to that moment, I just remember how defeated I felt, how embarrassed, how overwhelmed. And some of us, we can go back to moments of devastation in our life. We can go back to moments where, where you know, maybe we crossed the line and we fell into a sin or we gave into temptation. Or, or maybe it was a moment that, you know, things didn't turn out the way that we expected. And we just found ourselves in a devastating spot. And it was interesting because kind of like the team, it's in those moments that we don't really feel like going to the table. We don't, we don't feel like conversating. We feel like isolating. It's not like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go to the restaurant. Just suffered a major defeat. No, I don't want to talk. I, I don't want to conversate. I just want to get away. Some of us know how that feels with, with church. Some of us have been through some things, and you find yourself when you're in one of those down moments that I, I'd rather not go to church on Sunday. I, I really don't want to connect to a small group. I just kind of want to isolate instead of conversate. But it, it was the table. It, it, was, it was that conversation. It was, it was over some food. That, that, that's exactly what the players needed as, as they grieved, as, as, they, as they cried, as they laughed, as as they share, as they kind of regrouped and eventually, no pun intended, rebound. And, and I, I just think it's, it's so special because as much as Popovich knew that this team needed a table and called them family, come on, we got to get to the table as fast as we can. I, I would propose to you that just as Popovich did that, that the team might rebound from the game, that Jesus invites you and I to the table that we might rebound in devastating moments of life, that we might rebound in the midst of our sin, that we might rebound in the midst of discouragement. He invites us to the table. Now, the, the, the theme verse that we've been using really comes from a moment when Jesus is at the table with his disciples explaining his death. Let me take you there on the screen. Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. After blessing it, he broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, for this is my body. And, and last week we, we talked about uh, the, the incredible blessing of the table. The table, there, there's so much blessing that God wants us to experience at the table. And so if you didn't listen to it or you weren't here, go back, go online, check out the podcast. Uh, I think it will encourage your heart that you, you have a seat at the table. And at the table, there, there's, there's, there's so many rich aspects that a lot of times we take for granted and, and frankly I think in our culture that we've just forgotten or never even realized in the first place that there's so much potential that can happen at their table there's so much that God could do in our lives and through our lives at the table it's a table of blessing but today I, I want to lean into the breaking I, I want to lean into to the broken part because the the table is also a place if you're taking notes you can jot this down is a, the table is a place for our brokenness. 
It's a place that you and I can bring these moments, these devastating moments, just like this team did. We can bring our moments to the table. But I, I don't think we always feel <laughs> like the table is a place for our brokenness. I don't think we always feel the sense of, I have a seat at, at, at the table. Does it, we, don't, we just don't feel like Some of us have a hard time believing that, man, even if Jesus invites us to this incredible table with his presence and with his people, and uh, we're just not really sure if we belong at that particular table. I remember uh, good friends of mine and mentors, Sean and Diane and Epstead, they uh, pastor Fellowship Church. They're, they're like a, a big brother or sister church to us, and and I, I remember uh, we would go to, you know, we go to their different conferences and different things. And, and so some of my heroes were speaking at a conference. And, and I remember Pastor Sean said, hey, man, I want you to come and have dinner with us. And I was like, man, I was super excited. Now, I, I've never been, like, starstruck or anything like that. But you know when you're around people that you really honor and respect? Like, it can make you a little bit nervous. And, and so I remember I'm sitting in between some of my heroes and just blown away, like, how in the world did I get at this table, right? This is, this is crazy because they're on a whole different level than me. They're in a whole different stratosphere. And when it comes to ministry and, I mean, it's just they're, you know, and I know that it's not about uh, church size or anything like that. But they, you know, they're a lot older and they've been through a lot. It was just such an honor to be at this table. And I remember I told uh, Pastor Sean, I said, hey, man, man I, I'm not starstruck, but I get, I'm a little bit nervous. He's like, no, man, I get it, I get it. He says, but just remember, you belong at this table. You belong at this table. See, see, I, I think sometimes we, we feel like we have to get it together. Or we have to raise our, the bar. We have to get on another level before we can get a seat. In other words, we got to clean up sometimes or we got we to gotta rise up before we get a seat at the table. And, and I think we've kind of done even our kids a disservice because what do we say <laughs> growing up? Before you come to the table, what do you need to do? Wash up. Go ahead and clean up before you come to the table. And I just want to encourage you that Jesus says, no, no, no. See, that works with hygiene, but it doesn't work in the spirit. Jesus said, yeah, yeah, make sure, yeah, brush your teeth or, and you, or uh, you know, wash your hands, do whatever you need to do. But when it comes to your heart, no, 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 don't wash up. Go ahead and bring your mess to the table. Go ahead and bring your mess. There's a seat for you. Jesus invites us to bring our mess to his table. I, I wonder for you and I if, if that's such a hard thing to fathom, especially if you have kids. Like, like we, we get it with our kids, but a lot of times we don't get it with us. Like, for example, I have, you know, my youngest is three and how many of you guys know she makes a mess at the table every time? Even when she tries her best. It was like the cutest thing. Um, I was preparing for my message this week, and, and I, I prepare on whiteboards in my, in my office, right, in, in my little garage office thing. And, uh, and so, so she, she, was, she erased some of my content. I was like, Hannah, what are you doing? Oh, don't worry, Daddy. I'm going to fix it. So she grabs a little marker, draws like two little circles. How's that? I was like, babe, it's just fine. It's perfect. That works. And she said, okay, it's so good. But, but she makes a mess all the time at the table. And, and not, there's not one moment that we say, Hannah, look at this mess. You can't come back in the morning. 
Some of us want to say that. Like, sorry, Hannah, you lost your spot at the table. You're way too messy. We never do that to our kids. Right, because the table is a place of discipleship. It's a place of shaping. It's a, shape of, it's a, space, a, a table of encouragement where, where they're, they're being molded and, and they're being taught. And so we're like, no, 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 let, come to the table with your mess and let me coach you. Let me show you. But a lot of times we just don't, we don't, we don't get that with us. We feel like we got to clean up. We got to rise up. We got to level up before we come to the table. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. bring your mess. Bring all your disappointment, bring all your dysfunction, bring all of that to the table. For my table is not a, a, a place of perfection, it's a place of washing. In fact, Jesus was sitting at a table with his disciples. Go with me to the scripture found in John 13. It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. How many of you guys are so grateful that Jesus washes and dries? Like Jesus sees it to completion. Come on, some of you in your household, you wash the dishes, but you don't dry them. You just leave them all on the, t- all on the countertop. Just believing that God is going to blow a wind, right? Dry all those dishes. But that's one thing I love about the Lord is that we bring our mess and, and he, deals with from, he deals with it from beginning to end. The, the, the table is a place of washing. But sometimes we just don't get that because we, we get to the table and there's voices of doubt, there's voices of shame, there's voices of guilt, there's voices of insecurity that say, no, you don't belong at this table. So take your little mess, little discouragement, take your pain. Go and isolate, because there's not a place for conversation here for you at the table. And I think we, we understand how that feels. Anybody been in a room where you just don't feel like you fit? Just don't feel like you belong? Come on, how many know that's not this room? But we, we've all have, have, have been in those moments, and Peter found himself in, in this very spot. Look at Peter's response. Peter goes on to say, he says, he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Sometimes we, we, we miss the, the, the little nuances of Scripture. We, sometimes we just read it, uh, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, no, no. It's like, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Mine? What? And he says, you don't realize what I'm doing, Peter. He's like, no, I don't. Come on, you ever have somebody try to wash your feet? It's a humbling thing, especially if you don't like your feet. It's super humbling, right? He says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter said, no. No, no, you you can't wash my feet. I I think it's in moments where Jesus sometimes is, is wanting to extend his grace, wanting to restore, wanting to heal. Sometimes we just, it just feels too good to be true. Like, what are you doing? Like, you, you can't do this, and we're ashamed, and, and we feel guilty if it's, if it's in regard to sin, or we feel overwhelmed with our pain if it's just something that we're going through, and we, we're, we're having a hard time working through it. But, but one of the things that, that I, I want to just bring to your attention is that, yeah, sometimes it can be uncomfortable to be at the table. I remember when I, when I was living in darkness, this is like a week before I got saved, I walked into my mom's house, and my mom's like full of light. And I walked in, and I was like, oh, I just felt so uncomfortable. And I, and I always felt comfortable at home, but it was light and darkness colliding. 
And I remember I walked in her house. I'm like, man, I need to go back. I need to jump back on a plane. Let me get. And my mom was like, no, 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 come inside. Like, come and take a seat. Come and sit down. And see, I, I think it's uncomfortable, but can I just propose to you that sometimes comfortability gives us amnesia. Com- comfortability, th- you know, causes us to mistakenly believe that our security is found in us, that our security is found in others, that our security is found in things. And then all of a sudden, let the unexpected happen. Let's let, let you know, something tragic or, or let, you know, um, this reality of you falling into sin or temptation. And all of a sudden, something unexpected happens and you realize that it's much bigger than you are. And all, the, all of a sudden, you're, you recognize your limitations and your need for God. And, and Peter was like, whoa, 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 whoa. like you, you can't wash my feet. And Pe- Jesus said, Peter, this is way bigger than you, man. Like if I don't do this, you're not able to do this for yourself. You're limited in your ability to wash yourself. If I don't wash you, he said what? He said, you can have no part in me. And so what did Peter say? Peter said, well, if that's the case, man, wash my hands and my head too. Right? Peter just, just went in for it. But it was at this table that, that, that Peter experienced the grace of God once again. It's at this table that, that we experience the forgiveness and the acceptance of our Lord that, that he gives us a, a seat at, at his table. And that even as we bring our mess, he's able to wash us. And can I just tell you that God has a seat for you. And I know some of you in here, you're thinking, well, I'm a believer. Like, this is for people who don't know Jesus. No, no, no. Can I just tell you that you still need to take a seat? Even as a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been following Jesus 35 years. Can I just tell you there's still a seat for you? And there's still a need. Not, not maybe for your salvation, of course. That, that's sealed till the day of redemption. But how many of you guys know uh, we still blow it. We're still on the journey. We're still making mistakes. And we still need the washing, we still have some messes that God is dealing with in our life. We still need this too. But for Peter, this was not the only table that Peter experienced. Peter experienced a lot of tables, man. Any, anybody like Peter, you just, you just feel like you're always at the table with the mess, with Jesus. Some of you guys, some of you, some of you are like, no. It's awesome. But this wasn't the first table for Peter. You know, there was a time in Peter's life where at a table, he sat and he told the Lord, I'll never deny you. Never me, Lord. Let me just recline a little bit to let you know, Jesus, that I got this. And the Lord said, you're going to deny me, dude. Three times. Not just once, Pete, three times. No way. Like, oh. And so Peter found himself the night that Jesus was betrayed. They're getting ready. Jesus is getting ready to face the cross. The cross is on the horizon. And there's a little courtyard where they took Jesus. And people are out there around a charcoal fire. And people start to recognize him as a Galilean. And, and long story short, Peter ends up denying the fact that he even knows Jesus. He cussed on the third time. Like, I don't even know the guy. And on that third time, he locked eyes with the Lord. And it's crazy. It's in that moment where I never expected this. Like I never thought it would come to this. And you can imagine the shame and the guilt as it says that Peter went off and wept bitterly. So you fast forward and 
Jesus was crucified, risen from the dead, appeared to his disciples, told them, hey, we're going to have a staff meeting in Galilee. Go wait for me on a mountainside. And so we see Peter uh, impatient. Peter was always a little bit more impulsive. And instead of waiting on that mountaintop, Peter decides, that, you know, I'm just going fishing. And many scholars, there's some debate around this, that maybe Peter reconciled with Jesus before John chapter 21, which we're going to dive into in just a moment, um, that maybe he had a private moment with Jesus before that, and maybe he did. But, but the reality was is that um, Peter was still not reinstated, that, that there, there was this sense of, of Peter wasn't sure, like, I'm not really sure what does this look like moving forward into the future. And as he's waiting, he decides he's going to grab a couple of guys and go back fishing. And many scholars believe that this is kind of Peter saying, man, I, maybe it's over. Maybe the disappointment, the devastation, maybe I've blown it too much. Maybe, maybe yeah, like I know what I'm, 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 I might be okay with the Lord, but I'm not really sure where I stand or what the future holds. So I'm going fishing. And he takes a couple of guys with him. In fact, the Lord prophesied this in the Gospel of John. He says, the time is coming. In fact, the time has come when you will be scattered. Each to your own home. Now, this word, your own home, or this phrase, it literally means going back to your household, to your possessions, to your career, to your way. And so it's as if Peter is saying, listen, I'm not really sure how to deal with this, so I'm just going to go back to what I know. Isn't that so true? That when we're in a place of devastation, a lot of times we don't want to sit at the table. We just want to go back to cope with things that we know how. Or, or places that we've been, we'd rather just go back to some of those places because we don't want to sit and conversate. We'd rather just kind of go back and, and isolate. And so, so they, they find themselves fishing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they're struggling. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught a thing. And Jesus shows up on the shore, but they, they don't recognize him. And he says, hey, friends, you guys catch anything? Man, does it look like we've caught anything? No, like we, they've, they've caught nothing. And so Jesus does a classic Jesus movie. He says, why don't you throw the net on the other side? And then you guys know what happens, right? They throw the net on the other side, and their net's full of fish. You know, so hard, it was like, man, they couldn't even pull it up again. And then John looks over at Peter, and this is what he said. John looks over at Peter and said, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself. Um, I'm the one that Jesus loved, right? I'm the favorite. Uh, it's the Lord. I, I, I think it's kind of cool because John was the first to perceive, but Peter was the first to respond. And it says, as soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and jumped into the sea. Very awkward piece of scripture. Normally, we take off our clothes to get into the water. Peter puts on his clothes, jumps into the water, right? Well, well, go figure. And so he jumped into the sea. The other disciples came ashore in the boat. And they dragged a net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. I, I think this is so beautiful because Jesus once again is saying, hey, how's it working out for you? Let me remind you of your limitations. Let me remind you of my ability. Let me remind you that whatever I've called you to, I have the ability to provide for you. And so they get to the shore, and it's, 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 it's really interesting because it says when they landed, they saw a charcoal fire there. It's the same wording that was used at the fire where Jesus, uh, where Peter denied Jesus three times. And so it's almost as if, if his shame had a smell to it. His guilt, his denial had a smell of fire, had a smell of charcoal. 
And you can imagine Peter's getting to the shore, and, and, and he, he lands there, and all of a sudden he smells that fire. It's like, oh, man, I remember that smell. And it's just like the Lord to say, no, no, Pete, I know you remember that smell, but, but now I'm going to redeem that smell. I'm going to redeem that smell. There's going to be, uh, now it's going to be a smell of restoration. It's going to be a smell of revival. It's going to be a, a, a smell of, of reconciliation. It's going to be a smell of my presence and the fullness of my fellowship. It's going to, the smell, listen, I, I'm going to redeem that, Pete. I'm going to redeem that. And he invites him. He invites him to a meal. The scripture continues and it says this. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in, climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And I just had this picture this week. I had this picture of, of Psalm chapter 23, verse 6, that even Peter in this state, he's dragging a miracle. And, and I, I just thought Psalm chapter 26, verse, verse 23, verse 6, that, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That here, Peter, in probably one of the moments where he felt like he deserved it the least, God said, I'm still here. I'm still with you. I'm still God. And what does he tell him? He says, hey, Pete, come and have breakfast. Once again, Peter, take a seat at my table. Take a seat. Come on, let's eat. And in this culture, what that meant, again, was, was fellowship, was restoration. We're in this together. We're, we, we're sharing a meal. It's not just food. It, it's no, no. It speaks something. That's why the religious leaders were so upset when Jesus was sitting with tax collectors and sinners. It's like, man, what, how could you sit at the table with them? But that's next week. <laughs> but he says, Pete, come and eat. I love what Professor Barry Jones says. He says it this way. He says, the table is a place where broken sinners find connection and belonging. Despite our best intentions, we all, like Peter, stumble after Jesus. We desperately need people who will journey with us in our stumbling. We need to recover table fellowship in order to strengthen the bonds of spiritual friendship among believers who are walking together on the road. Because here, here's the deal. Here's the reality. For you and I, yeah, Jesus was doing all of this restoration. But can I just tell you, Jesus ascended to the Father and, and put us um, as an extension now of his hands and his feet for you and I now to create tables where people can come and experience the washing, where people can come and experience the grace of God, the presence of God, the acceptance when they felt like nobody wanted them. The table now, you and I are, are, are to create a table like Christ did for them, a table of restoration, a table of, of hope, a table of healing, because now we are his hands and his feet. He's calling us to set the table and to sit at the table. And with Christ at the center of the table, life can change. How many people like Peter still are longing just to have a seat. But it only works, ladies and gentlemen, if number two, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Only works if we're going to be vulnerable. Vulnerable is also uncomfortable as well. Anybody like being vulnerable? You're like, you sure talk about vulnerability a lot. I know, because I feel like it's so lacking in the church. I feel like in the early church, man, it was like, it was normal. 
But here today, it's, we got so many walls and fences, right? I, I mean, self-reliance, it, it looks strong on the outside, but then just with a little bit of agitation, it comes crumbling down. And it's, it's this fence of isolation that's kept us, what? That's kept others out, that's, that, that's, that's kept us from receiving God's best for us. All of a sudden, when that comes crashing down, we're in a position now to receive, to receive encouragement, to receive correction, uh, to receive vision for the future. But it's, you, you got to be vulnerable at the table. Because without vulnerability, it's, just a bunch of fences at the table. I remember when I went to Israel this, this past year, I, I didn't know any pastors that were going on the trip. I think I knew, I knew, uh, I don't think I knew anybody. Maybe you've heard of a couple guys, but I, I didn't know anybody. And, and the, the crazy thing is, is we can only eat really in one place every day if we wanted to eat for free, right? It was at the hotel. And so, so all of us would just gather around the table every time, every you know, morning we would wake up and whatever hotel we were at that day, we would come and, and we would gather around the table. And I remember one specific morning, um, and I shared a little bit about this before with this gentleman that I sat with, but I didn't share this part. And I remember one particular morning I went down and, and there was a, um, a pastor, his name is, is Pastor Pierre, and, and we've become really good friends. He's like, he's like a father in the faith um, to a lot of us young guys. And I, I didn't know him. As a matter of fact, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know a churchy pastor. I didn't know anything, but I knew he was eating by himself, and I didn't want to eat by myself, so I said, hey, can I take a seat? And so, so we sat down, and we started to have breakfast, and instantly I knew that, man, this is a man full of wisdom. The conversation was just flowing, and then he started to ask me some questions about my insecurities, about my fears. And at that point, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like there's a fence in front of you, and you're just kind of looking through the holes. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great, everything, yeah. And then in that moment, it was like the Lord said, let me remove that fence. And I had a choice. I'm either going to be honest with this guy or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to church it up with this guy. You, you guys know what that means, like church it up? Like you're not really bending the truth, but you're kind of bending the truth. And, and so I just, I just started being honest. Next thing you know, I started crying at the table. Two grown men at the table in Israel. And I just, I, just, I just start crying, and, and, and instantly, instantly, he just started to speak encouragement. He started to speak correction. He started to give me vision. And I was in a posture to receive at that point. One of the best parts of that trip was that table. Because that table led to another table as he said, I want you to come with me to Montana. We're going to go fly fishing in, in, in the middle of nowhere. I said, man, take me. I'm, let's go. So he brought me to Montana, you know, several months later. And, and now we're with a group of guys. And, and it was cool because it was like a pastor's retreat. And, and the, the, the fly fishing was cool. Everything was, was awesome. But the best part was every morning and evening, it was mandatory that we gathered at the table. And that's where I sat and listened to other pastors' stories and their lives. And some of these guys that pastor some incredible churches, you just think, you know, man, it must be really good for them. And just hearing their struggles and their pain. And, and it was like, wow. And there was such a sense of vulnerability. And I'll never forget my best part of the trip. It wasn't fly fishing. It wasn't the best part of the trip was the table. The relationships that were built. 
and, and I came off of those two experiences, I've probably been more healthy than I ever have been as a result of inviting people to speak into my life, dropping some of those proverbial fences, letting others in. I had to decide to take a seat. You can sit at the table but not be vulnerable. Then it just becomes a great meal. But if you sit at the table and you'll just open up your heart, I'm telling you. This is why James said it so clearly. James, uh, one of our favorite verses around here says it like this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And, and this word consins, it, it could be in, unintentional or intentional the way that, that James phrases. So a lot of times we think about sin, we, we think, you know, about these big grandiose things. But sometimes it could be like, man, you're just not treating your body well. Or you're not doing what you know to do is right. You're doing the opposite. And so it's this, this overlaying of just confession of this is where I'm really at. This vulnerable place of, man, this is what I'm really struggling with. Or this is what's really weighing on my heart. And he says, listen, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that what? So that you may be healed. That you might be healed. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud says it, says it best. He said, in a, for a lot of us, he said, confession with one another is so big. He said, because what it does is it, it removes the split. He said, in so many of our relationships and even in our life, we're walking around and we have this split life. That when we're with people, there's a split where we say, not there. No access. If, if I talk about this, you're not going to accept me. You're not going to walk with me. You might reject me. And there's this, this fear that leaves us in a split. And so we just live our lives divided. And what he said, he said, man, it's, it's, it's so incredible. He said, when you start to confess your sin to one another and invite Jesus into that process and you realize where you expected shame, guilt, condemnation, and you find an embrace, a loving correction, you find a, 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 you know, a, a, a gathering of people around you, when you thought they would leave you, he said that split is healed and no longer are you divided but you're made whole. So many of us were living a divided life, not, not, not faith-wise, like you know you're like your faith is in the Lord, like, like there's no question there, but you're walking around parceled out, and God says, I want you to be whole, but in order to do that, you got to find some believers that, that you trust, that you can be open with and vulnerable with. I'm not saying be vulnerable with everybody. That's foolishness, but I'm saying find some people you can trust. Let those relationships develop that God might heal the split. And the last one is this, be intentional. Be intentional. Let me, let me take you on one more journey. This is, this is a, probably one of my favorite stories in the scripture. As these two disciples, after Jesus was crucified, risen from the dead, there were some rumors that he rose. But, but they, they were like, uh, we don't think so. It was like a fairy tale. It was like a fable to them. And two of the disciples, two of his followers were leaving Jerusalem in a state of discouragement. The, the unexpected had happened. Jesus, it was not supposed to go down like that. They saw the brutality of the cross. They thought, there's no way this man is coming back. It's too brutal. And so these two disciples are on the road, the road to Emmaus. This is the actual road that they were traveling in Israel. It's kind of beat up. They haven't done much to preserve it. But, but the road, they were on this road to Emmaus. Emmaus was kind of like the hot springs of the day. It would almost be like, hey, man, we're going to the spa. Just trying to, just trying to decompress. It's been a long week. And so, so they were on their, their way, and, and they were discouraged. They were doubtful. They were disheartened. And, and, and Jesus shows up. But they don't recognize him. 
they don't know that it's him. I love that Jesus comes after the discouraged. He comes and finds the, the broken, the doubting ones. He could have just let them go, but he pursues them. And he, he shows up on the road like, what's up, guys? How's it going? What's going on? They're like, what? Like, are, are, are you not, like, living in the same world we are? He said, no, no, what's wrong? What are you guys talking about? They're like, you haven't heard about, you know, Jesus? The fact that this man, they went on to explain a little bit about who he was and that he was crucified. And we had hoped that he had been the one to save and redeem Israel. We had hoped. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, tell me some more. So they're walking on the journey, and Jesus looks at him, and he says this. I'm surprised they didn't catch it after this. And I might have, like, disconnected my journey from him after he said this. But he said, you foolish ones, you're so slow in heart to believe. I mean, you can imagine walking like, who are you talking to? you talking to? Like, who are you? And he starts to walk them through the entire Old Testament. This is one of the, the greatest, like, cases for expositional preaching, right? Jesus begins to walk them from Moses to the prophets on how all of the scriptures point to him. And so something starts to stir in their hearts, right? They're starting to think, like, oh, okay, like, Jesus is breaking it all down. And so they're giving them his story, and Jesus said, let me give you my story. I know that's your story, that's your narrative, you think that's how it's going to play out, but let me tell you my story. I mean, how, how awesome to be able to walk with Jesus and he walks you through the entire Old Testament in a matter of seven miles. And so they're on, they're on the seven-mile journey, and, 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 you know, the Lord speaks to them, they're kind of dialoguing back and forth, and it's starting to get late. And, and the scripture says this, it says, as they approached the village where they were headed. It, he seemed to be going further. It's almost like the Lord was like, do you want me to come in? As if he was going on. They said, no, no, no. They pleaded with him, no, no, no. We want you to come and stay with us. See, something was happening. Something was stirring. Can I just tell you, in your place of discouragement, can I just encourage you to be intentional? These guys didn't know they were being intentional. We're learning from their life. We're able to look back on their story and learn with some wisdom. Are, are you tracking with me? Because you can learn from two ways. You can learn from consequence or you can learn from wisdom. You don't have enough bones to learn from consequence. So at some point, you got to start from, to learn from wisdom. And so, so, so all of a sudden, you know, Jesus comes in. And can I just tell you, it is very, very smart to be intentional that when you're struggling to say, Lord, will you come stay with me? Like, I know I have a seat at your table, but Lord, can you take a seat at mine? I invite you to my table. What a posture of openness to the Lord. Lord, will you take a seat? I know it's messy. I, I haven't had a chance to clean up, and I'm not the best cook. But can, will you come in and stay with us? And it goes on to say the passage, and Elvis, I don't know where you're at. You come up and play for me, man. It says, so he went, up to, he went in to stay with them. And while he was reclining at the table, he took the bread. Wow, here we go again. He took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. What's so interesting, though, is that normally that was the host's job in this culture. But can I just tell you, when you invite Jesus in, he knows how to take control, <laughs> and he knows what you need. He knows exactly what they needed. So he said, hey, guys, look, <laughs> look. I got this. 
took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. And it says that their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And then he disappeared from their sight. Like, how messed up is that? Like, Lord, I swear, don't you see him? But, but, but here, here's the, the beautiful part that I want you to catch. To, to be intentional, by the time you get to the table, like, come on, Thanksgiving's coming up, and, and there, there's, there's going to be a lot of preparation before you sit down. Like, like there's, there's a lot. I mean, Jackie and I have hosted a few times, and we're, we're cooking the turkey like the night before. We're, we're getting it ready. We're feeling, you know, really awkward as we're rubbing spices all around the bird, Right? I mean, so much thought and intentionality is going around the preparation of the meal. And if I, when, when you're struggling, don't just kind of like, don't, don't just simply um, just kind of wait for this miracle moment. Rather, intentionally invite Jesus to be with you. See, as they were walking down this road, little did they know, God was stirring their faith. He's bringing them back to the scripture. And he's, he's, he's pointing them back to his story, back to himself. And faith is starting to arise in their hearts. And then they sit down at the table and, and all of the culmination, everything is kind of culminating to this one point. And, and he, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it. And then they recognize Jesus. Can I just tell you that when you recognize Jesus in your pain, it's a game changer. Here they are full of faith. And what do they do? They recognize Jesus. They get up immediately and go back seven miles to Jerusalem. But here's, here's the beauty of it. And ushers, I'm going to invite you to come forward and pass out communion if you would. Everybody, you, you can be seated. But here's the beauty of it. Look what it says. Continue. It says, the two went back to tell all the disciples what had happened on the road and how they had recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. That when it broke, their eyes were open. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when you're stretched, when you're challenged, when it feels like you're breaking in every aspect, maybe you've been struggling in sin, maybe you've been discouraged, maybe you've just been in pain, can I just tell you that your pain has the potential to position you more than ever to see Jesus clearly, that there's something in the breaking that causes us to realize this is bigger than me, and I need you. And that when you and I, ladies and gentlemen, we can begin to see our brokenness in the midst of the fact that he was broken, that we might have life. Something happens in that place when we're broken and we recognize his breaking for our brokenness. That faith arises in our hearts. And like these two disciples, they were able to go back to their place of disappointment and face it head on. Do you know what they would have missed out on? God was getting ready to birth the early church. They would have missed out on everything that God had planned for them. But it was at the table that Peter was restored to go and to do everything that God had called him to, that these two disciples' eyes were open to see clearly to go and to do everything that God had called them to do. And can I just encourage you today, there is a seat for you still at this table. There is a seat for you to bring your mess, to be vulnerable, and make sure you're intentional on the journey.